Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 138th video cast, 128th podcast for the week ending June 9th, 2022. Got a lot of great stuff to cover today, so let's get to it. Uh, wanted to share, I had the chance last Friday to play Beth Page Black, uh, which was incredible. Had some of the best shots of my career and some of the worst shots. The best shots were my friend's brother-in-law kept passing me his uh, driver with a double stiff shaft, which is what I have on order uh, that hasn't come in yet, and I was just crushing it. Uh, the, the worst of the, uh, of the round were if you go off the fairway three feet, you are in uh, grass up to your knee. It's, it's, it gives new meaning to the phrase amber waves of grain, uh, to put it mildly, but it was just an amazing time. We walked all 18. Uh, tiring but wonderful. Uh, we got great weather and uh, hi highly recommend it uh, if you, you're lucky enough to get a tea time there. It's, uh, it's just fantastic. So, um, okay, want to thank Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on the Clayman Countdown yesterday. We're going to go into that uh, in pretty good detail today because that is where I finally released the name of our big auto supplier holding that I've been referencing for the last three or four weeks. Uh, for those of you who didn't figure it out from the hints, uh, only the most loyal listeners would have figured that out. Uh, well, now you know, and we're going to go into a breakdown of that company uh, on this call. So thanks to Liz and Ellie. I want to thank uh, Devik Jane, Menaz, Yasmin, and Caroline Valitkevich, Valitkevich for including me in their Reuters article yesterday and uh, the, the point that I was making energy was up again I said people looking for the peak inflation narrative keep getting uh, uh, hit in the face every day as energy prices go up uh, we'll see what what starts to happen I think it backed off a little bit on the build um, there are a lot of forces at play uh, obviously all the politicians want to bring energy down because if you want you know, the number one thing that you can do if you want revolution uh, or instability is jack up food and energy prices. So uh, no politician wants that. And um, uh, we'll, we'll see. There are a number of catalysts that could, that could change this. Commercials are positioned in a way that supports that uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to see some change. But so far, nothing yet. And that's one thing I've got my eye on. And the other thing I've got my eye on is that 10-year yield hovering around 3%. We want that you know, it peaked at uh, 3.20, you know, a month ago, uh, peaked at uh, 3.25 in June of 2018 and 3.03 in January of 2014. So we don't want it a whole lot higher. This is this is normal here, but uh, want to see, see that contained. And really, you know, I had a, a reporter call me from Reuters today. Uh, everything you need to know about the stock market is going to happen tomorrow morning. What happens with that CPI print is going to determine everything. Are the people in the peak inflation camp correct, and that number came down once again, or are they incorrect, uh, in which case the Fed is going to have to keep their foot on the gas and drive us into a recession, um, and, and we're going to find out. I'm in the former camp. I do think that in spite of uh, energy being persistently high, the rest of the co commodity complex has been rolling over. 
There are a number of other things coming to bear that we'll cover in this uh, podcast video cast that are rolling over. So I expect to see uh, better than expected, meaning lower than expected tomorrow. Uh, if that happens, I think we could see a summer rally in equities. If it comes in higher than expected, we could certainly see a sell-off back to the bottom of the range, which I think was about 3,800. Uh, I think that's low probability. I think you're looking at maybe you know 25% probability of being much higher than expected and a sell-off, and a you know 50 to 75, probably 75% probability of it coming uh, in lower than people expect because uh, it's pretty pessimistic right now, in which case you'd start to see a bid, uh, continued bid in the market uh, in coming weeks, which uh, a lot of people are not positioned for, as we'll cover here. Also want to thank Devik, Jane, Menaz, Yasmin, and Susan Matthew for including me in their article the day before. Uh, I said you're going to see more instances like Target where they have excess inventories that need to be discounted, and that's actually disinflationary in the intermediate term. And I think... Um, uh, that is the case. They built huge inventories for COVID-related items. Uh, the bad news is no one wants COVID-related items anymore, so they're going to be cleared out at, at uh, fire sale prices. That's going to have an impact on overall prices coming down. Uh, people are trading in uh, sweatpants, hoodies, and Crocs for party dresses and high heels. Uh, so we're going to see more of that moving forward. Uh, quote of the week from Warren Buffett, look at market fluctuations as your friend rather than your enemy, profit from folly rather than participate in it. And that's what we did uh, um, over, the, over time with Chinese stocks, which are now showing some buoyancy and starting to get bid. Uh, that's what we're doing with biotech, and that's what we're going to do uh, here with this special situation in the auto supplier industry. While people were puking out all three of those, We've been buying while everyone was racing to buy as much energy as possible. We were selling it uh, after uh, initiating in 2020 uh, and use that to fund the China. And that's all we do. That's our strategy. People, uh, you know, that are responsible for IPS's uh, investment policy statements from pensions. They always say, well, you know, what's your strategy? I said, my strategy is very simple. I buy high quality businesses and sectors when they're on sale. And it sounds simpler than it is because most everyone buys stuff when everyone wants it. And that's when we're selling it. And we just do that over and over and over. Sometimes uh, the turn happens right away and we make money overnight. And other times it takes a half a year or a year uh, to build that bottom. And sure enough, over the next two to three years, it plays out. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's all we've ever done. That's all we're ever going to do. And, uh, and we're going to make, uh, continue to just make incredible money over time, consistently buying what no one wants that's high quality, selling it when everyone wants it, and looking for the next train to get on. Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing. So um, this is interesting. Uh, hat tip to Jacob L., who put in the Ask Me Anything question last week about Best Buy. Uh, Richard Schulz the, uh, bought $20 million of stock. Uh, in Best Buy. So that was uh, a pick from one of our listeners. And, um, you know, I think that's going to work out for him over time. Uh, other uh, news here we want to cover quickly before we get down to uh, the auto supplier and, uh, some, and the article of the week. Inflation is poised to ease according to three, these three key indicators. Prices for chips and shipping containers have come off peaks. Central bankers are scrambling to stuff out ensuring soaring inflation. Three of the key supply side factors driving today's global inflation levels have already turned around, meaning relief could be on the horizon for shoppers worldwide. 
Uh, Inspectrum Tech PC DRAM contract price is rolling over since uh, uh, earlier this year. The Drury shipping index rolling over the last uh, uh, handful of months and North American fertilizer uh, rolling over in the last month or so. So um, a bellwether for the semiconductor price, a barometer of costs of finished electronic products as diverse as laptops, dishwashers, LED light bulbs, and medical devices delivered worldwide is now half its July 2018 peak and down 14% of the middle of last year. The spot rate for shipping containers tells us more about expenses we can expect later in the pipeline for apparel in Chicago, luxury items in Singapore, or home furnishings in Europe has declined 26% since its September 2021 high. And North American fertilizer prices, an indicator of where global food inflation is going, including bills for tomatoes in London or onions for sale in Johannesburg, is now 24% below its record high in March. So these are positive developments. Uh, that's Bloomberg. Then here's another economist besides Kalanovic, uh, J.P. Morgan's chief economist, disagree with Diamond's hurricane warning. And Kasman said on Monday that Bruce Kasman, no real reason to be worried about a recession, arguing economic growth will continue in the months ahead, albeit at a slower pace due to high inflation that has rattled the business and households. I think we're going to see is growth to be to continue to be on the softer side, but continue to grow to show resilience. Um, the health of households and corporate corporates being quite remarkable right now. And that is the crux of uh, of what he's laying out. Um, they also show how Brian Moynihan disagreed, etc. Then Kalanovic, also from J.P. Morgan, predicts stocks will reclaim 2022 highs. I agree with that. And he, he puts it in the context, even if oil hits $150 a barrel, uh, I, I don't expect to see that. Nothing's out of the question. If we did, my, my sense is that would be short-lived. Um, but he continues to make the case for beating down tech stocks, uh, innovation stocks, biotech, and China. And part of his key thesis, uh, he's also bullish on small caps and high beta technology stocks that have gotten crushed this year. Um, uh and that's that. He still likes energy up here. Uh, I'll take the other side of that. So um, Taiwan Semiconductor expects 30% sales rise despite global economic ructions. This is core to our thesis with regard to the uh, auto supplier. And that is the, um, the note from Morgan Stanley, Adam Jonas, that was out last week, basically calling the end of the auto chip uh, shortage. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor has half of that. Their production's up 60% year on year. Uh, these chips are getting to the OEMs. When, when the OEMs have chips, they produce the new cars that they have two-year backlog for. When they produce the new cars, the auto suppliers make bank because they have monster operating leverage. Uh, and the only question is, will they be able to, to keep up with the demand uh, for what they have now that the chips are coming into the OEMs? But that's just co confirmatory as it relates to Taiwan Semiconductor playing a key role. Uh, here's some stuff from Lizanne Saunders. Hedge fund quite bearish on small caps. Uh, net long position for Russell 2000 contracts at most negative since September of 19. And that's when you wanted to get long. So that's interesting. Uh, Seth Golden puts out these points from uh, Tom Lee over at Fundstrat. 
FANG valuations lower than at 2003 trough after the tech wreck. Growth will be bought after carnage to that JP Morgan chief economist point with growth slowing. Uh, cyclicals, I think, are going to start to underperform once again in the short term. We do like energy long term, but we do think there's going to be some point this year where the trap door opens and it takes out all the Johnny come latelys that come in, came in, you know, January through May of this year, uh, knock them out 40 percent and then reload for the next three to five years. Uh, banks bottoming, uh, inventories building, which we covered, inflation abating, which we just covered, will relieve pressure on the Fed and investors will flo- focus on inflation inflection. Tomorrow is the key day. That's the make or break in the short term for the short term of the market. Look, eventually we're going to hit peak inflation. There's no question. Uh, I just think it happens to be this month. And that's largely due to what we covered last week, uh, the year on year that it was the biggest jump from April to May uh, ever. And now we're coming up on that tough comp. And I, I don't think anyone's really paying attention to that issue. I think they're more paying attention to headline crude prices every single day being strong and they're missing the forest for the trees. But tomorrow we're going to find out. Um, Moving right along. Uh, Okay. Uh, Tech price to sales ratio likely bottoming, which precedes massive appreciation periods. This is interesting. So even those companies that are measured on price to sales that make no money, Uh, They're at the same lows that they were below 2012, below the great financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, below, remember, August of 2006 when hedge fund managers were the most short tech than they, uh, they're the most short tech now than they've been since August of 2006, which was right here. The next 18 months, the NASDAQ was up 42%. The only time it was lower was 2000. Two, uh, it got a little bit lower after most of the crash was in the rearview mirror from 2000 to 2002. That marked a bottom as well. Uh, I think the difference now is that China just had their version of this, uh, and they were the first in the tank. They're now the first out of the tank. Uh, China Tech, believe it or not, bottomed in March, uh, and uh, and we've been rising ever since. And we got a huge bounce yesterday. Sold off a little today. We're going to cover that in a second. We'll tell you why. Um, But this, to me, looks really attractive. The other thing that was in the tank uh, right out of the gate, first thing in the tank uh, that we think now is going to come out of the tank is biotech. China Tech and biotech were the first ones to crash starting February of last year. Uh, I I believe, uh, well, China Tech's already proven it. I think biotech's going to prove it here in the month of June and bottom. Uh, and uh, start to be the first out of the tank uh, in a a rebound type scenario. Tomorrow could be the catalyst if we're right that that the numbers will be decent. Um, Moving right along, since 2011, 40% of the increase in the S&P 500 has come from buybacks. Fortunately, that support doesn't seem to be at risk of fading anytime soon. We covered that last week, but here it is higher than ever, uh, and that's going to be continued support along with rebalancing into month end. Uh, this is from my friend Tiho um, uh, talking about insiders buying, which we covered extensively last week. Uh, insiders, you know, while uh, retail have sold basically 100% of the stocks that they bought during the pandemic rally over the last two years, 
Uh, now in the crash, they've sold out every single one of them, but who's been buying it from them? The insiders in the company, executives who have perfect knowledge of their business operations. They don't tend to put their personal net worth at risk uh, uh, as, a, as a show of uh, uh, ego. They tend to do it uh, as a way to make money. And historically, insider buying has been a statistical uh, edge, uh, insider selling has no use because people sell for a multitude of reasons, but insider buying is meaningful and you can see how that's played out historically. Uh, okay, on to China. China to conclude DD cybersecurity probe, lift ban on new users. So that's what kind of really started this, this sell off in the crackdown. Now that's ended. Uh, DD was up big on that news, I think 50% in a day. China software valuation likely bottomed out, highly attractive sector, says analyst. Jeffrey's analyst Edison Lee has weighed in on the recent rebound in China stocks. So opinion follows trend. You know, Alibaba was at 75 yesterday. It got to 120. So uh, you know, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty big move, 65, 70-ish percent. Uh, and now they're starting to get excited. Uh, but there's a lot more to go. So kudos to them for you know late better better late than never. Uh, this chart explains why the U.S. will avoid a recession, according to J.P. Morgan strategists. Okay, this is a little bit out of order, but that's fine. Um, so the chart that they're pointing to is, Bell pointed to the chart showing the sharp rise in the deposits in J.P. Morgan Chase retail banking customers since the start of the pandemic. Uh, <clears throat> and it says that in spite of inflation, um, the stimulus check have boosted savings, particularly for the low income group. And part of the reason we had a lot of booming economic growth and inflation over the last year was that some of that got spent, but they're still sat on average somewhere like double the amount of savings they had at the beginning of the pandemic. So in spite of high prices, uh, in spite of uh, all the pessimism about uh, consumer sentiment, etc., they still have double the savings than they had at the beginning of the pandemic. That is huge, and that may buy us enough time for uh, the headline numbers to actually start to roll over so that the Fed can uh, lean into a dovish pivot uh, by the end of the year. And if you actually look at uh, the seasonality, you can, you can pull it up on equityclock.com, the seasonality of energy, you know, you historically get a huge ramp up into driving season in June and then seasonally uh, energy starts to roll over um, uh, materially. So uh, we might we might benefit from that as well. Um, and it remains to be seen. But um, I, I think that's how this this is going to play out. Uh, JP Morgan strategy says equities are flashing a bullish signal. Uh, this is interesting. So the bullish signal that he's pointing to is the, a reduced demand for hedging equity risk is a bullish signal as it likely reflects low equity positioning by investors. Uh, well, there's no question it's low equity position, the lowest since uh, uh, May of 2020, which was you know near the pandemic bottoms. But what I look at is option skew. Uh, in simple terms, VIX measures the, the price of uh, or the demand of um, at the money insurance, whereas option skew measures deep out of the money options. And uh, this is collapsed. And when you see it down at these levels, meaning no one's buying cat catastrophe insurance, um, 
uh, you're usually towards the bottom because everyone's already gotten flushed and their equity exposure is low, so there's nothing left to insure. It's like the house already burned down. There's nothing left to insure. And, uh, and that's where we are right now uh, because no one has enough uh, equity exposure. They're, they're not buying a lot of insurance. And that's when, you know, that's what you saw at the pandemic low. That's what you saw mid 2020. And, uh, and now here we are again. So that, that's uh, promising. He didn't uh, state it as eloquently. He should have just put up the SKUs chart. I'm not sure if that's what he was looking at, but this is a better measure in my experience. Uh, investors returned to Chinese stocks after sell-off triggered by COVID and geopolitics. So uh, that game is back on um, China. The worst may be over for China stocks. So this is kind of by date. This is earlier in the week. Um, with tech probes end in sight because of Didi, end of tighter regulations. Here's the thing from today. So basically, Alibaba rallied 15% yesterday up to 120 uh, on, um, on uh, I guess, what was uh, uh, what we covered last week, which is the possibility of an Ant Financial Group IPO. Remember, Alibaba owns a third of Ant Financial, which is just a monstrous company. Uh, at one point uh, valued at $300 billion. It'll probably be a trillion dollar company one day and Bob owns a third of it. Um, so what happened was um, people figured out what I figured out, which is why would they put the head of the Hong Kong exchange on their board if they weren't going public? Um, and uh, it, the person is still on the board. So all of a sudden, the, you know, Reuters and Bloomberg broke the news yesterday, a week after you heard it on the podcast. And, um, and then naturally, Ant and uh, the regulators had to come out and, and uh, discount it. Uh, thou dost protesteth, methinks, uh, too much. Methinks thou dost protesteth too much. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's unequivocal, this is going to happen. Uh, and, and that's uh, what Reuters is saying as of uh, uh, just over 40 minutes ago. So first, it was positive. You know, uh, in the futures, Baba was up uh, f- uh, following through after yesterday being up 15%. Then they came out, uh, Ant and uh, the regulators saying not so fast, or I think the regulators j- didn't respond and Ant said, you know, uh, not, you know, not so fast, et cetera, because they don't want to piss off the government once again, like who leaked, someone's probably getting taken out to the woodshed and and shot. Um, And, um, but now Reuters apparently has an exclusive, Julie Zhu, uh, and aims to file preliminary prospectus as soon as July, say sources. Ant needs CSRC's guidance on timing of prospectus, filing source. Ant says there's no plan to relaunch IPO in their statement. They don't want to screw it up again. And war- because basically the government would feel like they're front running and trying to box the government. And the minute you try to box the government, they, they crush you uh, in China. So they're saying, no, 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 no IPO happening. No IPO, ha- no IPO is happening. And uh, but we know there's an IPO happening. Why would you put the head of the Hong Kong exchange on your board? Um, and then Warburg Pincus valued Ant at $180 billion, uh, at the end of March, which is pretty amazing that it's only taken a third haircut 
with all the crackdown. It just shows the underlying strength of the business. Uh, it, who cares? It, IPO'd at $10, $10 billion valuation. Who cares? Uh, at the end of the day, the market's going to find its level of what this thing is worth, and it's far more than 300 or even $500 billion over time. Uh, and we own a third of that as, as major owners of... Um, of uh, Alibaba. So, so this is exciting news. This is the most latest update. It's not reflected in the market now. Last time I looked, I think Baba was down 6% or something like that. Um, but, uh, but this is going to happen. And that, that's exciting. That's exclusive of all the crackdown ending, all the stimulus coming in, the shutdowns ending, people, the game getting back on, the 618 promotions. Uh, so, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, you know, uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and even Jesse Livermore always said uh, the money is made in the sitting. Uh, and so if you're wondering why I'm playing a lot of golf uh, lately, uh, everything's set. I mean, we've got uh, three of the best positions uh, in, in the world, in my view, our top three positions with uh, Baba, now Biotech and this auto supplier, which could be worth more, even though it's less dollar positioning, it could wind up making more money than both of the first two positions, which are going to make a lot of money in my view over time. Um, so there's really nothing to do once you've done the work and set them up. And, uh, and yesterday I shot uh, a 45 on the back. This is my fourth round after a 20 year break, by the way. Um, and I three putted every hole. So what that tells you is, uh, I don't know how that's uh, related to Ant Financial, but uh, it tells you I'm, I'm hitting the ball great. Very excited about that because I've spent a decent amount of time at the range. Now I got to, you know, I put the putting together. I mean, you know, my initial goal was to break 90 this year after a 20 year break. Uh, that's in the bag. Now I'm looking, you know, knock on wood, maybe I could break 80 one time this season, uh, which would be pretty darn good after a 20 year break. Um, and that's without the new clubs, by the way, without the right shafts. I'm hitting regular shafts. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but uh, hopefully they'll come in. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me that they're taking so long, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get them in. All right. Uh, China issues 60 new video game licenses, none for 10 cent or net ease. So this was a catalyst yesterday also for Alibaba, part of the 15%, um, jump, uh, that just showed that that was the about face. And that's what happened by the way, the exact same thing that happened, how I always say it happens every three to five years. Well, the last one was a video game crackdown. Uh, in 2018, uh, the stocks crashed when they stopped the licenses. The stocks started rallying when they began reissuing new licenses, and it was one of the biggest rallies ever. Uh, and this is exactly the same thing. This time, they stopped issuing licenses in the summer of last year. They've just started reissuing. Follow the playbook, ladies and gentlemen. We're on the right path. Alibaba stock has jumped to a tireless level in months. What's driving the shares now? So Jack's back on board with, uh, with Alibaba, which is exciting to see over at Barron's. He usually writes good stuff. There's another author that it's so hysterical because every time she writes something, it's always negative about China uh, and, and about Alibaba uh, invariably. And like on updates, you can just see when she has to write a positive headline, how much she hates it. Like, it's like, you know, uh, you know, it could be like Alibaba's up 20% today, but is it for real? You know, but could the government re-crack down on everything? Like it's, it's just hysterical to watch 
the emotions of these people because it's, it's no different than day traders and short-term thinking investors that trade on emotion, not based on the fundamental analysis or, or, uh, or information. Um, all right, China weighs reviving Jack Ma's ant IPO as crackdown eases. So that was, uh, that was in the morning that, was, that had it up uh, and then you got the ant saying, oh, no, not again. We can't front run. Because remember, Didi front ran the government and the government shut them down for a year. So ant is like, no, 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 no IPO. We're not doing an IPO. No IPO for us. <laughs> we, we have this lady on the board that uh, runs the exchanges. Uh, we just brought her on last week, but we're not doing an IPO uh, until the government tells the press that we're doing an IPO. We're not doing an IPO. Uh, so that's that. Um, and by the way, this is not priced. This was not priced into Alibaba. By the way, it was not priced into Alibaba at $200. It was not priced into Alibaba at $75. The, the market's giving, ascribing zero credit for this Alibaba stake, which could be worth uh, more than the e-commerce business in total. It won't be worth more. The cloud is going to be the most valuable piece of that business three to five years out. But uh, Ant is going to be huge. So uh, a $7.2 billion China ETF just added the most cash since 2011. Opinion follows trend. That was yesterday. It was the highest ever. MSCI China uh, was the highest ever inflows in history yesterday. And it's just the beginning. Uh, now let's move on to this auto supplier. So the reason I got the idea for uh, auto suppliers was my extensive uh uh, history, study, understanding, knowledge, experience with Warren Buffett and his partner, Charlie Munger. In 2021, Charlie Munger in the recession, the tech rec recession, um, Charlie Munger bought a company called Tenneco. It was an auto supplier uh, um, company. Actually, I want to pull up this chart from last week. Um, commentary. Okay. Uh, and just to give you an idea of what, where he was buying it in the recession. Um, okay. So effectively, he read about Tenneco in 2001. Here we go. All right, now, if you remember, here we go. So we can't see where this was, but it was up here, give or take. It was you know, a long-term trend. Uh, worldwide motor vehicle production had collapsed by 2001. He actually bought Tenneco right down here in that recession, in the collapse. It's an auto parts supplier, both secondary market, but also a large part was due to, to the original equipment manufacturers. They had Monroe muffler they had they were the number one um, shock absorber company both secondary and primary market um, and these were the last few times and we just had the same exact type of recessionary crash in the pandemic and now it's trending up the production it's trending back up the production uh, and we should be back higher than pre-pandemic levels in 2024 and he found out about it um reading an article yes i read barons for 50 years 
Uh, I found one investment opportunity in Barron's out of which I made about $80 million with almost no risk. I took the $80 million and gave it to Lee Lu, who turned it into 400 to 500 million. So I've made 400 to 500 million out of reading Barron's for 50 years and following one idea. Now, that doesn't help you very much, does it? I'm sorry, but that's the way it really happened. If you can't do it, I didn't have a lot of ideas. I didn't find them easily, but I did pounce on one. It was a little auto supply company. Uh, anyway, it was a cigar butt. Uh, I haven't, he goes, no, no, no. Uh, was it KW? He goes, no, 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 I have, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was a little, it was the Monroe shock absorber and all that stuff, which is Tenneco, by the way. Uh, the stock was a dollar and the junk bonds paid 11 and 3 eighths uh, were at 35. I bought the junk bonds. They paid me 35% yield. They went right to 107. Why? Because the company bought them back at a discount, which by the way, uh, Cooper Standard, the company that we're in, um, the management alluded to that fact on the last call. An analyst asked about the senior unsecured, which are trading at not, uh, not 35, but they're trading at 40. Um, and they alluded to nothing's off the table, meaning like we look at that senior unsecured and we want to take it in because the senior secured are trading at a premium to par. The senior unsecured are trading like equity. That's largely a function. All senior secured have traded down since the Russia invasion of Ukraine in January. It's become a, a less liquid market. But um, uh, since we started buying uh, the senior unsecured have moved from 40 to 51. I saw a 53.55 bid uh, yesterday. I'm not sure where they are now, but they're over 50. So they've already moved up 25, 30%. Um, and the stock he bought around $1 and he sold it at $15. Uh, ultimately, the stock went to $40. So he left a few hundred million on the table. Um, so they said, how long did it take to make that 15 bagger? Maybe a couple of years. People mistake this. They think that Munger bought exclusively the senior unsecured. But the fact is he bought a sliver of unsecured and mostly equity because you can't make uh, 8x when you're buying the bonds at 35 cents. You could only make 3x, or, you know, 3x basically, 200% return. Um, and how long did it take you to make your decision to buy it once you read the article? Oh, about an hour and a half, said Munger. Um, well, I kind of, and, and what was it about the company, an auto supply company? Well, I kind of knew based on experience how sticky some of the auto secondary market was, how many older cars needed Monroe shock absorbed. I also knew it was too cheap. I didn't know it would work for sure. As I say, people were afraid it was going to go broke, obviously, if their bonds were selling at 35 cents. So it's a very similar situation right now. And if you look at the long-term chart of Tenneco, it was up to $47 in 1997. It started to uh, collapse uh, in anticipation of the recession. And by 2001, it was down to $1.28. So the other thing you have to keep in mind is here in here is I'm sure a lot of people bought this thing at $5 uh, or even $8. You know, it was down. So call it $5. It was down 90%. And that's the one thing you have to keep in mind. When you buy a stock that's down 90%, it can fall another 90% before it goes up 25x. Uh, and you just have to live with that. And if you're uh, capable, uh, add in the hole. You know, we have uh, a, a very large position in the company, now well over 2% of the company. Uh, and, um, but 
it's not outside the question that it could fall to a dollar before it goes back up to a hundred dollars. Uh, and we're going to talk about why, why would we think it goes up to a hundred dollars? Like that's crazy talk, but uh, we're going to lay out the case why, why we think based on the company's public guidance and, uh, and how this can play out uh, and how, how these things play out in recessions. But Tenneco is a great model for this because uh, we have, you know, uh, backward looking data here. Here was the recession, which lines up with um, the global production, then the next time in 2008, and then the next time in 2020. And you see Tenneco, uh, that first recession in uh, OEM production, he, Munger speaking about the secondary, but actually the, the large bulk of their business at that point, if you go back to the public finance, was to OEMs. Uh, and then what happened here in 2008 when the production went down, because they sell to the OEMs. If the OEMs aren't producing cars, they don't get paid because they're not selling their parts to the OEMs. And then it just happened in um, 2020. The problem is, and I've spoken to management, my biggest fear in getting into this stock so was that uh, the board does a dumb deal like Apollo did. So uh, Apollo just bought the whole company for $20 when it was trading at, I think when it was trading at 10 or 15. And basically what the board did was they robbed at least $40, 50, 40, $50 uh, from shareholders because over time in this cycle, this is gonna work back up to new highs just as it did every single recession uh, and recovery. And this one will be no different. I think this one might be more pronounced just because when you look at dealer inventories, I mean, the, these dealer inventories are at historic lows. Uh, it, you know, if you go in to buy a car, you got to wait six to 12 months, in some cases, 24 months. There's two years of backlog. Even if we went into a, a you know, a, the most severe of severe um, recessions, the demand for new cars is astronomical right now, and it's going to continue that way. Uh, and just to get these inventories back up to a normalized lower level, they'd have to go up 4x. So the average age of cars is uh, much older than it was in 2001 recession and 2009 recession. We're now looking at uh, light trucks, average age is 11.6. Uh, cars is 13.1 years and uh, combined is 12.2 years. So that's all you really need to know. Whether people want to replace them or not, they're going to have to, uh, and that's coming, coming soon. Um, so, uh, and here's the expected recovery. So, so that's a key factor there. And let's just see what else. Um, wanted to cover about Tenneco. The... Uh, Okay, so it's interesting also, in 2001, Tenneco's consolidated revenue was 3.3 billion. Uh, it's about a similar size company as Cooper Standard. Cooper Standard's peak revenue in 2017 was uh, about over $3 billion. And Tenneco had, um, where do we go here, TechRec, by the way, uh, the opportunity also presented itself during a tech wreck. We just had a 30% correction in, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the NASDAQ. And then the debt, uh, they had more debt than uh, Cooper Standard does. So uh, Tenneco had about $1.4 billion of debt. 
Cooper Standard has about a billion dollars, and we're going to walk through the maturities. You know, so what, why is the stock trading down? So here's Tenneco traded down from 47 to 1 and then back up to 35. Then the next recession traded from 35 down below $1, then back up to 44, and then just traded down from 67 to $2. And now it was back up to 15 and they just sold the whole company for 20. They're not going to sell the whole company because management owns 5.2% of the company, which was the second reason I got in. So number one reason was Munger's investment, this repository of knowledge I have from studying these guys over the years and when they buy big and when they don't. Uh, I've been saying this for a long time. This pandemic created some lifetime generational buying opportunities China Tech was one. This is going to be another one. And um, so I went in on the Munger uh, experience on the management board owning 5.2% of the stock, which is key to me. Uh, They've got skin in the game. And it's something that I've never seen. The most important metric I look at when determining the quality of a business is return on invested capital. And uh, management comp uh, is tied to this most important metric. And I've never seen a company do this Uh, certainly a small company like this. Um, um, So their comp goes up based on their improvement in return on invested capital. And they've been guiding to uh, double-digit return on invested capital over the next couple of years. So here's what uh, Cooper Standard looks like. Very similar. Uh, Went from 146 down to $6 during the pandemic lows. Rallied up to $44 before the chip shortage. Uh, they were generated, I think, like $30, $40 million of EBITDA in the middle of the pandemic. Then the chip shortage came. They rolled back over. Uh, we've got this a- across a-, a bunch of accounts uh, around 570 in that range, 560, 570, 580. Um, and now it's, uh, it's back over $6. You know, but this, this may take some time. It might grind for five or six months. Uh, here and it could certainly go back to one. Remember, if you buy a stock down 90 plus percent, it can go down another 90 percent before it goes back to 40 and then 100. So let's talk a little bit about how does it get back to the 40 and the 100 and and all that stuff. Um, this is, by the way, uh, this is also interesting. Tenneco, despite the fact that it had a higher top line, uh, it had more debt, 1.4 billion versus 1 billion uh, for Cooper Standard. And their average EBIT for the seven years, their normalized EBIT was 150 million. Um, Cooper Standard's normalized EBIT is going to be about 300 to 350 as that operating leverage kicks in. uh, And we look, you know, two to three years out. Management is optimistic that they're going to turn this thing around in two or three years. I think it's going to take three to five. But um, we're not, you know, on, so back of the napkin calculations, uh, if you look at the IHS forecast for production, uh, of light, light vehicles, and the company has guided that they're going to grow revenues at a compound annual growth rate of 9% over the next few years with a double digit EBITDA margins like they had in 2017 and 2016, 17 and 18. A double-digit return on invested capital uh, back up to 10% by 2024, which is very, very quick. Uh, if you look out to 2026, 2027, that implies uh, EBITDA is going to be back to $300, $350 million, 
which implies about $9 a share of earnings. And historically, this stock trades between a 10 times to 20 times multiple in periods of despondency versus periods of euphoria. As I always say, things don't shoot back to the average. They, they overshoot on the upside just as much as they overshoot on the downside. So if you look at $9 of earnings at a 20 times multiple three to five years out, you could have $180 stock. If you look at uh, you know the low end of that multiple, you're looking at a $90 stock. Let's say you cut that in half and let's say they don't do $9, but they do $5 and you put a 15 times multiple in the middle and it reverts to the mean versus overshooting, you're talking about a $70 stock. This is a stock we own between, you know, <laughs> below $6. Uh, you know, by my math, you're looking at, you know, uh, 15 to 20 time, 15 to 20 bagger. That's the good news. The bad news is it could go broke, and that you have to accept. And what I always say going into any position, whether it was Alibaba, whether it's Biotech, whether it's uh, was Range Resources, which we've gone through that story, over and over uh, is that you have to assume that any investment you go into could go to zero. And the risk here, the risk slash catalyst, uh, in, you have your first catalyst in the next six months, is can they refinance the, the first tranche of debt that they have coming due, um, here we go, in uh, November of 2023. So they've got a term loan of $320 million. Uh, can they extend that maturity? Uh, management is guided that they're very comfortable that they can. They wanna get that done in the next quarter to two quarters. They're, they said publicly that they are talking to their existing banking relationships. Uh, and uh, they also said in the last call that they want to potentially, or that they're, you know, whoever they're talking to, uh, about potentially doing both the term loan and the senior secured all at the same time, uh, do like a 700 million and then pay down the unsecured, buy them at a 50% discount and clean up the balance sheet entirely, extend the maturities, uh, et cetera. And uh, my sense is if they got the $700 million done in the next two quarters, that would immediately take the stock to $20, $25 overnight because bankruptcy comes off the table. Uh, and then from there, it's just that 9% top line CAGR, the operating leverage, the, 10 the double digit return on invested capital that they've guided to and double digit EBITDA margins, which they've done historically. And we've got the same great management team in place with Jeff Edwards, uh, who had a 24 or 26 year career at Johnson Controls. And he took us to the promised land, took the company to the promised land when things were good before the recession. And I think he can take us to the promised land one more time, uh, which gets us a 20 bagger. And, um, uh, but it's not without risk. And for many people, this is not suitable and it is uh, too risky. So go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms. This is opinion, not advice, but I'm just telling you what we're doing uh, and we're willing to take that, uh, knowing that it could be an absolute zero. But the difference between, so Cooper Standard went bankrupt during the great financial crisis. And um, I've talked to management about that. I kind of knew the answer before I asked it, but I wanted to see their view. And the di key difference between today and 2009 was in 2009, the OEMs were going bankrupt uh, themselves. So they had no incentive 
to keep their suppliers alive. There was no demand for cars. If you remember, President Obama did cash for clunker because no one was buying new cars. The, the exact opposite is true right now. They can't get enough cars to meet the demand and, and they've got two years of backlog, inventories at historic lows, et cetera. So it's a completely different situation. And if you look at the rebates that they've been able to win, they're getting compensated now for inflation, they're getting recovery. The suppliers have given them uh, like $100 million of rebates. Uh, they wanna keep all their suppliers afloat because they know as those chips come in, the last thing they want is one of their key suppliers uh, to go bankrupt uh, when their demand, is, when, they, when they can just start to meet the demand and mint money. Uh, so they're, they're giving rebates, they are keeping their suppliers uh, in business so they can, they'll be there for this huge run that's gonna take place over the next uh, three or four years. So the other question I asked is, um, you know, why were the OEMs doing so well and you've done so poorly? And the answer is that the OEMs, as, as everyone knows, have been able to mark up prices, even though they had, you know, virtually zero inventories, the inventories that they did have, they sold at such a high margin because they marked it above MSRP because of the demand was there and the supply was not. Um, so it's a completely different environment this time than, than what we saw in 2008, 2009. 2008, 2009 was a credit crisis. Now people's balance sheets are stabilized. Companies have refinanced when money was free over the last two years. So um, all of the factors uh, point in a complete, completely different direction. Um, so just to kind of get to the formula here, 9% CAGR on the top line plus 10% return on invested capital plus 10% EBITDA margin means you have a business doing 3.6 billion top line, uh, 350 million of EBITDA and earning $9 a share. The historic 10 to 20 times multiple is a 90 to $180 stock depending on market conditions. Um, and you know, if you think that's too optimistic, just cut it all in half. I mean, even at $45, uh, you've got uh, an eight or eight bagger or whatever over the next few years, and that's a home run as well. Um, so the first catalyst will be uh, certainly the refinancing, which we're, we're uh, pretty hopeful can get done as the company is guided. And uh, the second catalyst will just be the chips coming back and the demand coming back. But uh, pointing to the company here, uh, you know, this was a two and a half billion dollar company, three billion dollar company. Uh, a few years ago before the pandemic. Uh, it uh, got down to a $70 million company market cap when we were you know, aggressively buying. It's now, I think, about $100 million or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, you own 2-3% of a company that, you know, becomes a uh, uh, back to a $3 billion company a few years out. It's real money. And um, uh, we like this type of special situation. So, um This just goes to this, uh, it's just a spreadsheet of uh, their net income. So you take uh, normalized 150 um, and you just need to look at uh, production is not only going to get, so they're expecting production back at global light vehicle production back to pre-pandemic levels. It'll be back at 2017 levels uh, when it was a, uh, multi-billion dollar company by 2024, uh, but it's gonna be beyond that by 2025. So when you look at the financials, uh, you'd be looking at net income of call it 150 million divided by 17 million shares. And that's how we get uh, 
to nine, and then you put a multiple of 10 to 20 on that, and, and that's where you go. So uh, that's the debt. Here is um, a little bit of the uh, overview from a recent presentation. They're the number one in sealing systems globally. So this rubber stuff goes around the doors, etc. They're the number two in the world of uh, fuel and brake delivery systems. And they're number three in the world for fluid transfer systems. That's a mode in my view. The, the OEMs desperately need them to take advantage of what's coming over the next 24 months as the chips are now coming in uh, and the market that they have. So this is, this is a big deal. Uh, they're mostly North America concentrated. That's where they make their money, as go the U.S., so, so goes them. And uh, I think the U.S. is just poised for a huge, huge explosion in new cars, which, by the way, is part of our inflation moderation thesis, because once these new cars come online, prices will stop going up on new cars. Uh, used car prices will collapse. Used car prices are up 60 percent in the last two years. They've recently come down 6 percent, but they need to really uh, start to collapse. And by the way, when you look at the Carvanas of the world, it's telling you that what I'm saying is going to happen is happening. And people are sniffing that out in Carvana, which which bought a bunch of used cars at high premiums. Uh, and if you look at Hertz and Avis and the Jonas note, they're going to get hit because the residuals, the used cars are going to have less value because there's going to be a glut of new cars. Glut of new cars is great. Why? Because Cooper Standard gets $155 on uh, internal combustion and I think about over $200 on EVs, which shocked me. So this is a covert green play for all the ESG folks out there. Um, they've got a huge uh, part of the EV market. And um, they actually make more money on EVs. I thought it would be the opposite. I thought it would be less parts, but they need more fluid transfer systems for the cooling, for the batteries. So they actually make, call it uh, a third more on EV cars. So if EV cars grow, not only will they get back to uh, 300, 350 million of normalized EBITDA uh, and uh, you know, 150 million of, pre, uh, of um, net profit, but um, you know, if you, increase the EV mix, that'll be much, much higher. It could be 20% higher. Uh, and, uh, and then you'll start to get a, a heavy multiple, multiple on the stock, which is pretty exciting. We've gone through this. Um, so this is uh, the EV segments expected to grow at 36% CAGR by 2026. Cooper Standard's expected to grow at 50% CAGR in the v EV business. They're a current supplier on four of the top five and 14 of the top 25 EV platforms. Remember, they've got the big three uh, and they've got a bunch of others. So that's pretty exciting. Um, electric vehicles provides uh, uh, cost per vehicle growth opportunity of up to 25, up to 20% versus ICE. So 20% more. Um, and this kind of shows you the powertrain for thermal management. Uh, in the ICEs, they've got eight parts. In the hybrids, they get 28 parts. And in the EVs, they get 20 parts. So more than double the number of parts they're able to sell for EVs than ICE. But our uh, assumptions are based on all ICE, which is basically what they were doing in 2017. So this is a free free option here. Uh, you can see some of their fancy uh, um, part pictures. Uh, also, they've got this free option. They've got this uh, Fortrex technology, which is like the rubber soles, but it's lighter, it's more durable. They're under a license agreement that's expected to begin in early 2023. Um, you know, and they're pretty optimistic about it. I consider it a free option that's worth zero in my modeling, but it could surprise to the upside. I, you know, I couldn't, uh, they won't disclose who that massive global footwear company is that are buying their 
Fortrex soles for their sneakers, but that you know we'll know that, and that that's another free option that's not in in my model uh, moving forward. So who knows what could happen with that? And um, here are the bonds. As I said, uh, they got down. Well, these are these are the uh, senior secured. They're trading at uh, 102, so they're trading above par. And here are the unsecured. Uh, they got down actually slightly. They got down to forty dollars. They're now. Uh, last trade was 51, but I did see a 53.55. Anyway, uh, I don't know who's in there. I'm not able to see the volume uh, uh, that was done between 40 and 50. If anyone has that, send it to me. I'd be very interested to know, is it an elephant in there buying it, or is this just uh, an illiquid bid uh, that we're starting to see on the senior unsecured? Here's from the recent earnings call. Given our outlook for improving industry trends and our successful execution of ongoing cost reduction initiatives, we believe this certainly provides adequate capital for the funding needs of the company. Turning to slide 12, uh, on this slide, we provide our initial guidance for 2022 along with our expectations for regional light vehicle production. That forms the basis for our annual plan. For this year, we expect sales in the range of 2.6 billion to 2.8 billion, which is um, up from 2.3 billion, by the way. So that's a big jump in spite of all these shutdowns and nonsense that's been going on and wars and everything else, uh, and adjusted EBITDA in the range of 50 to 60 million. So positive EBITDA, um, you know, uh, coming out of the hole, you know, with negative EBITDA the last three years with everything going on. So uh, they're on their way to recovery in spite of all these headwinds. That was very good to see. Um, next thing we saw here is, uh, so yeah, so you can see their guidance. They're gonna put out new guidance after the second quarter. Maybe it'll come down a hair because of the China shutdowns, but uh, from what I'm seeing on the chips, it, it might not might not come down as much as much people expect, and could could potentially be the opposite. Who knows? Uh, so yeah, so this is what they did. They did 2.3. Now they're guiding 2.6 to 2.8, so they're recovering. They lost 8 million in adjusted EBITDA last year. They're expected to uh, earn uh, 50 to 60 million in adjusted EBITDA this year, and they've taken a ton of costs out of the business. So. It's, uh, it's on the upswing here and at the inflection. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, so we will continue our efforts this year to further optimize our operating footprint and cost structure as we push to achieve double digit margins in return on invested capital within the next few years. We still have uh, nearly half of our business not generating a profit. That's the Europe and the, uh, and the China. Um, this shows their liquidity. As a matter of fact, I'll just go back to my notes on the liquidity because there's some changes since the first quarter. So this is all the debt, which we covered about a billion. But actually, if, you, if they were to buy, it's misleading because the senior unsecured is trading at a 50% discount. So uh, when I did this, the senior, senior unsecured was trading at 4050, which implies they only had $772 million of debt versus Tenneco, uh, when, Buffett, when Munger bought it, had 1.4 trillion, uh, 1.4 billion rather. Um, and this is their liquidity. They've got $250 billion of cash. They've got an undrawn revolving credit facility of 142 million. They've received cash of $29 million uh, for uh, overpaid taxes, tax refund, and they've got another $23 million coming this quarter. So that's $447 million. They have no maturities until November 2023, 
which is 320 million. So they even if let's say the credit market's closed tomorrow, um, uh, they're getting rid of the burn. They've taken 100, I think 125 million of costs out of the business in the last year or so. Uh, they're getting rebates. They, they, I'll talk about their, their contracts. They've now got index-based contracts for inflation and recovery, uh, retroactive recovery, which is the OEM saying, we need you to stay in business. Here's a lot of money. Um, uh, which is the complete opposite of what happened in 2008, 2009, when the OEM said, we're going bankrupt, do what you want. We have no demand. Uh, so you have no demand. Now it's like we have more demand than we can handle. The last thing we want to see happen is we get the chips and then we don't have any of the other parts we need. So, um, uh, so, so they could be, they could, um, the credit markets could close, no refinancing. They could pay this off if they had, if that got called in a year and a half, they could uh, get to June 2024 where they got another 242 million, probably generate enough cash over the next year to pay that off. So liquidity is not an issue. Oh, and this is absolutely key. For those of you on the podcast, you're getting cut off. You need to go to hedgefundtips.com, scroll down to the YouTube video, uh, video cast and go to minute 60. You'll pick up where you left off. This is the key. So they gained, they got like $50 million from a sales lease back in January, uh, 